So uh, I uh, have the honor to welcome you and to thank you for joining the Ever Given Masterclass of the Erasmus University. At the Erasmus School of Law, we honor the slogan where law meets business. Under the umbrella of our specialist master, Maritime and Transport Law, we are happy to live up to this promise uh, and to share our expertise with the uh, people who enthusiastically subscribed on this uh, masterclass. Um, our panel uh, here today uh, exists of uh, Erwin von Geiten. Um, he is the uh, Broken Director uh, Marine of Aeon. Aeon is one of the world leaders in insurance for the shipping industry. They offer risk solutions for ship owners, ports, cargo owners and charterers. They have offices uh, in all the maritime hubs, uh, New York, Singapore, London and Rotterdam. And because, you know, this is a very interesting case for insurance, uh, we invited Erin. Uh, we also have uh, Julia Herning. Uh, her promotion research in the international transport law was about multimodal uh, trans uh, shipment in aerial and road combination at the University of uh, Switzerland. In Germany, uh, for the Ham Higher Regional Court, she did her traineeship at the Columbia Center and the Sustainable Investment uh, on Sustainable Investment. And now she is also teaching for the International Masters here at the Erasmus School of Law. Uh, last but not least uh, is joining us Frank Stevens. He uh, has a special interest in the holder rights um, and the uh, holder rights and the liability of the bills of lading. Uh, he's the maritime lawyer at Rosendahl and Keizer in Antwerp, and he is our associate professor here at the Erasmus School of Law for commercial law and especially uh, for maritime and transport law. And my name is Lisette Smith. I'm the coordinator of the masters. Uh, the masterclass is structured as follows. Uh, Julia will start explaining the case. Frank Stevens will uh, follow um, and tell us about the uh, legal framework. And then Erin uh, uh, will conclude with the uh, risk and then we will move to the Q&A. Yeah, thank you very much, Lisette, for the introduction and welcome also from my side. I would like to give you a brief introduction what happened uh, with regards to the ever given case and the Suez Canal. So what is the Suez Canal, first of all? I think you are all familiar with this traffic road and it connects the Mediterranean uh, Sea and the Red Sea. And it's very, very um, efficient with regards to time for international shipping because the ships do not have to go via Cap Hope. Um, and uh, Lisette, could you please uh, yep. continue? Thank you very much. Um, so the alternative route, as I said, is passing through Cap of Good Hope and it is around about 8,900 miles longer. Um, approximately uh, nine, 79 vessels can pass the canal per day, so, uh, and it's about 12% of the world's trade volume that passes through this canal last year. Um, so the record was in uh, 2020, where nearly 90,000 ships passed, and this amount to almost 1 billion, uh, more than 1 billion tons of cargo. 
So here was this and what the importance is of the Suez Canal. So what happened? On the 23rd of March in 2021, so around about uh, 5.40 in the morning, um, there was an incident caused by the Ever Given. Lisa, could you please? Thank you. Um, so the Ever Given ran, uh, runs aground at this time and on 29th of March, 2021. So almost one week later, the Ever Given was refloated by several salvage companies, including the Dutch uh, Sid Smith uh, salvage company. And well, um, then the Ever Given was towed to the Great Bitter Lake. So it could not continue its journey to the port of Rotterdam and was arrested um, until then um, for a payment or security for a claim that uh, amounted to $900 million, at least that was the number which was provided by the um, Egyptian authority. And uh, yeah, it costs standstill and this costs um, the global economy an estimated amount of 400 million per hour. And um, there was a loss of dollars like 10 until 15 million per day due to the blockade and numerous consequential damages arrived. So what happened with the vessels in line? And um, yeah, well, the Ever Given runs aground on 23rd of March and the Suez Canal was blocked. Then approximately 100 uh, vessels waited in line, either they have been already in or entered the channel from either end. And at the day when the um, Ever Given was finally uh, solved, um, or rescued, approximately 150 vessels were already in black, uh, backlog. On April, so yeah, and then um, they uh, moved on. Uh, what is the Ever Given? The Ever Given is one of the biggest container ships in the world, um, and they have more than 20,000, uh, the vessel has a capacity of more than 20,000, uh, 20 feet large. Uh, containers. It is owned and operated by the Japanese uh, Shokisen uh, company and the Taiwanese uh, charterer Evergreen. Um, she has entered um, in an insurance contract with the UK PI club by her owners and with God by charterers. So, so much for the case. And uh, then I would like to hand over to my esteemed colleague, uh, Frank Stevens. Okay, thank you and welcome to all of the uh, participants. Uh, yes, you can forward the slide, Lizette. Um, I'm going to give, uh, or at least try to give an overview of um, some of the legal issues that uh, will probably, or that might arise out of this uh, incident. It's undoubtedly not an exhaustive list. There's, there are no boundaries to the imagination of uh, lawyers. Uh, but these are probably some of the issues that, that will come up or that, that may come up. And let's first have a look at the vessel, the Ever Given itself, and its owner and uh, operator uh, charter. Well, it's, it's 
very obvious that there will be a liability claim by uh, the Suez Canal Authority, by the Egyptian authorities. Uh, that, that claim has already been made um, in the media. Uh, we've seen the vessel has been arrested for uh, 900 million up to $1 billion uh, in damage, uh, all sorts of damage to the uh, canal itself to uh, Egypt. Obviously, that that there would be such a claim that is that is quite uh, obvious. It will most probably be governed by uh, Egyptian uh, law, and I must confess I don't know anything about Egyptian law. Um, it's probably going to be tort liability, might even be uh, strict liability, because obviously the canal and infrastructure like that is is quite vulnerable. So it. it would not be uh, entirely surprising if they had some sort of uh, strict liability uh, there. Of course, the amounts that are being mentioned now in the press, like the, the 900 million, uh, the 1 billion, for the time being, that is uh, out of thin air. That amount will undoubtedly have to be uh, substantiated. And chances are that uh, at the end of the day, uh, the amounts will be uh, different. I would venture to say that probably this claim will be uh, settled. I mean, I, as a lawyer, I wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't like to be representing uh, the ever given before uh, court uh, as against the uh, Egyptian authorities. So in, in all likelihood, and, and also, of course, the, the uh, Evergreen uh, will ha has other ships that have to pass um, through the Suez Canal in the, in the future. So in all likelihood, this is a claim that is going to be settled at one point or the uh, other. Next question, of course, is, well, is there a potentially a liability of the Evergiven uh, and or its owners as against the other ships, all of those ships that were uh, delayed, that couldn't pass uh, the canal because of the ground. Very obviously, there is no uh, contract between those vessels and the Evergreen, and Evergreen or the, the Evergiven. Uh, so that necessarily will be tort-based claims. And then the very first question, and, and actually a very difficult question in this uh, context is which law is going to uh, apply. In, in Europe, we have the Rome II uh, regulation, of course. Um, the basic rule of which is, is not too easy to apply in, in all uh, cases, but there are a lot of, there will be uh, a lot of claimants, or, or there are a lot of uh, potential claimants that are outside of Europe and uh, that are therefore outside of the scope of the Rome II uh, regulation. So big question mark, which law would uh, apply? And in a, a nightmare scenario for Evergreen, they might be confronted with multiple claims in multiple countries, all applying different laws, all arriving at, at different decisions on whether or not there was a tort. My personal view at this moment is that um, this is not going to be all that important because um, there's very high risk that it will cost more than that it's simply throwing uh, good money after bad money. It's, it's going to be such a, a complicated uh, claim. 
um, there will there are of, of course also issues like remoteness and foreseeability of the damage etc most probably I, I don't see much of this this type of claims actually happening in, in practice a next issue of course is uh, salvage uh, the vessel uh, has been uh, refloated has been freed by smith so there very clearly is an issue of uh, salvage uh, there is the london salvage convention uh, that applies in any case and Undoubtedly, either the, the ship owner or uh, the charter has made a salvage contract with uh, Smith. Now, a salvage contract as such is, is not really necessary. And we have the convention and there is a right to a salvage award even without a contract. But in these circumstances, um, almost certainly there was a contract with uh, Evergreen and or the ship owner made a contract with uh, Smith. Yes, next slide, please. Okay, next issue and that might arise and, and that, that uh, has in the meantime also arisen because in, by now the owner, owners have indeed declared uh, general average. General average is, is one of the oldest uh, concepts of uh, maritime law. Uh, it, it even predates the Roman uh, time, so it's, it's really very old, but it still exists. And as you can see, it is still uh, used from time to time in, in maritime law. Now, general average is something that only concerns those interests that are involved in the maritime adventure and that by that we mean the, the voyage that the ever given was uh, performed so those interests that's primarily uh, the ship owner possibly the charter depending on the charter party and the cargo owners general average does not concern basically uh, the other ships or cargo on the other ships or um, the uh, Suez canal authority or uh, whatever what is uh, what what is covered by uh, GA? Well, it's covered any extraordinary expenditure that is intentionally and reasonably made or incurred for the common safety to preserve from peril the property involved, i.e., the cargo on board of the ever given. Damage suffered by the ever given that is never general average because damage by definition that is not intentionally incurred so what are we talking about uh, primarily in this uh, ga proceedings that is the salvage and the refloating expenses uh, to put it very uh, briefly and and forgetting all of the nuances uh, this general average mechanism basically serves to allow the uh, the ship owner of the ever given to recover part of the salvage and refloating expenses for, from the uh, cargo on board of the uh, Evergate. Now, we have already received a question before the start of this uh, masterclass from one of the uh, participants. And we said, well, all the cargo on board, uh, if something happens during the carriage, then the, the carrier has an obligation to uh, take uh, due care for the cargo, to do what is necessary to get the cargo to destination. So where is the, where is the, bar, the border between that obligation of the carrier to do what is necessary to get the cargo to destination and general average? Well, the 
the border is where those expenditures change from ordinary to extraordinary. Indeed, a, a carrier, if something happens during the carriage, has to deal with it. If you have a strong headwind, then you have to burn more fuel to get the cargo to destination uh, according to your schedule. If you really move into the extraordinary, then you're in the, the realm of uh, GA. So that's, that is where the boundary is between the carrier's obligation to perform the voyage and GA uh, expenditures. Another issue that uh, will or may arise, uh, well, actually will arise because apparently the uh, owners have already started limitation proceedings in uh, London, is a possibility for a ship owner to invoke limitation of uh, liability under the uh, LMC convention. As I said, the uh, Suez Canal authorities are already claiming about uh, 900 to 1 billion uh, dollars. Well, the limitation amount under the LMC convention for the ever given, uh, what you find on the internet as gross tonnage varies a bit, but it's around 220,000 gross uh, tons. That results in a limitation amount of 82 million SDR special drawing rights. And that today uh, equates uh, 98 million euros or about uh, 117 million uh, US dollars. So quite a big difference between the limitation amount and uh, the total amount of the claims, even though probably that, that amount is slightly exaggerated. So, Limitation proceedings apparently um, have already been started or will start shortly in London. Uh, very probably uh, claimants will try to uh, break limitation to prevent uh, ship owners from actually invoking limitation. Yes, next slide. So that's the position of the ever given itself. Of course, there are also all of those vessels that were trapped in the Gulf of Suez uh, that couldn't pass the canal because there was this big vessel in the way. What is the position or what might be the legal issues with regard to those delayed vessels? Quite a lot of those vessels might have been under time chart. And then the question you could ask yourself is, well, does this mean that because the canal was blocked that the vessel can go off higher, meaning that the charter doesn't have to pay higher anymore for the time that they are blocked there. Well, most probably not. Uh, this, this is most likely not an event that is covered under the off-hire clauses in time charter parties. So in practice, this, mean, this means that it's, uh, it's the charters, the time charters who pay for uh, the loss of time. It's their risk. They will not be able to uh, shift that to the owners. If you're dealing with a voyage charter party carriage under bills of lading, uh, well, clearly there was a quite substantial uh, delay. What about uh, that? Well, under a voyage charter party under bill of lading, uh, the carrier or the owner, the ship owner, gets a specific freight, and for that freight, he has to um, complete the voyage. 
And if that voyage takes longer or much longer than originally foreseen, well, then too bad for the owner. He cannot uh, recover that from his charter or from the uh, shipper or consignee. So in the voyage charter party, it's probably the owners who are going to uh, suffer the consequences. Further potential issue with uh, charter parties, and I think a very uh, real one, is that because of this delay, all of those vessels are going to miss their next charter party because they will, uh, they probably will not be able to meet uh, the LACAN, uh, so the period in which they have to be in the in, in port or in a certain area of the, the world, in order to start their next charter party. So very possibly uh, a number of those ships are going to miss their next uh, charter party. Again, this is probably something that will be covered or that will have to be borne by the owners. Next set of uh, interests are, of course, the uh, cargo owners or the cargo interests of the, well, there are a lot of containers on board of the Ever Given itself, but there is also a lot of cargo on board of the other uh, vessels. So there is certainly delay. There might even be, because of that delay, uh, physical damage to the cargo. If, if you're talking about livestock, then that's very obvious, but even uh, foodstuffs, etc., they, they can go bad if the voyage takes uh, too long. Can those cargo owners turn against their carrier? Is that a liability uh, of the carrier under the Hague-Visby rules? Well, Delay as such is not covered under the Hague Fiscals. If the delay then results in physical damage, like all of the, the sheep or the cows uh, dying on board of the uh, livestock carrier, then, then that is that type of damage is covered under the uh, Hague Fiscals. But there might, of course, be exceptions that the uh, carrier might invoke. Consequential loss, like purely uh, loss of time, maybe even loss of production because some factories are short of um, materials, have to stop their production. That, in general, is not recoverable from a carrier. Uh, consequential loss, in general, is uh, not recoverable under a uh, contract of carriage. And so even if some companies might suffer even substantial losses because of all of these delays that in all likelihood will not be recoverable from their own uh, care. So that in a um, very small nutshell, uh, some of the legal issues that might rise from this uh, case. And now over to uh, Edwin for the insurance aspects. Thanks, Frank. Also from my side, uh, welcome to this uh, masterclass. Uh, I will uh, deep dive a little bit more into the uh, insurance aspects of the uh, Ever Given. And if we look to the uh, vessel side of the Ever Given, you see there two quite important parties from the one side, the Japanese ship owner, and the other side, you've got the Taiwanese uh, charterer. And both of them, they have a, a PNI cover in place. Uh, the charter has a charter's PNI cover in place with uh, the guard, and the owner has a PNI cover placed with the UK PNI club. On the PNI side, uh, you have 13 PNI clubs in the world who insure about 95% of the 
of the uh, fleet uh, globally. A um, uh, couple of uh, other PI clubs are like a school or standard club. On the hull side, uh, we expect uh, a quite small hull claim uh, because uh, apparently uh, divers uh, took a side of the bottom and, and, and the hull of the vessel itself, uh, stating at uh, Better Lake. And apparently, the damage itself uh, was quite uh, minimal. Uh, for the audience who doesn't know the difference between hull machinery and PI, if we compare it a little bit with uh, a car, you've got a, a car liability insurance and you've got uh, the property of the car insured. With a vessel, it's the same thing. On the property side of a vessel, you have the hull machinery insurance cover, and on the liability side, you have the PI. Uh, insurance cover in place. Uh, the PNI is abbreviation of protection and indemnity. Under the hull and machinery cover of the ever given, as I mentioned, the uh, you could have the damage itself, so cracks or uh, uh, perhaps uh, a dent of the hull could be repaired, uh, could be costly, and those costs can be recovered from uh, hull machinery underwriters, as well as uh, the salvage operations. So any salvage award or any costs connecting to the salvage, which are not uh, incorporated in the general average, could also be um, recovered from uh, hull machinery and, uh, underwriters. And the general average costs itself as well. Like Frank mentioned, uh, general average uh, the costs there will be uh, spread around the various interests in this marine adventure. The various interests can be as well as the, uh, the, the ship owner, as all cargo interests on board, as well as the charter. So, for example, the charter can have bunkers on board of the vessel. So also for that portion of the uh, value of the charter's uh, uh, portion in that adventure, uh, he will he will or can be uh, called upon for uh, contribution in respect of the general average. Most of uh, those uh, international fleets have hull machinery covers in place uh, incorporating a general average absorption clause. A general average absorption clause uh, gives the, the benefit of a ship owner to not to declare general average but nevertheless to recover all those general average costs directly from the hull machinery uh, underwriter, which gives two uh, positive consequences. On the one side, you, uh, you escape from a quite costly, uh, long-tailed uh, general average uh, um, procedure with all uh, uh, with the contribution of uh, cargo interest with the general average uh, adjustment with a general average adjuster, so you skip those uh, this this procedure. And on the other side, you also, as a ship owner, you are not uh, giving any friction towards your cargo interests, which are in essence your clients. So you have on a, on the ship owning side uh, a benefit of having a general average absorption clause. Normally, those clauses are around five hundred thousand, seven hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars per incident. And as you can imagine, uh, the costs in the ever given case will uh, will be much more higher than uh, the five five hundred thousand or seven hundred fifty thousand. So 
in essence, the ship owner will declare uh, general average. Uh, is that the next? Yeah. On the PI side, side, as I mentioned, uh, protection and indemnity gives the ship owner the benefit of liability insurance and the uh, liability towards all uh, uh, other parties. So, for example, versus the cargo interests, versus uh, authorities, um, versus the crew itself. Also, uh, crew liabilities can also be covered into your PI cover. Uh, if cargo has been damaged, during the salvage uh, or after the salvage, those uh, claims from cargo interests on basis of their uh, bill of lading can be recovered with the PNI Club. In this instance, that will be then the UK PNI Club, which is the uh, PNI underwriter of the uh, ship owner. What about consequential loss of late delivery? Like on a cargo insurance, also on the um, uh, PNI insurance, those are not covered as being a consequential loss, uh, especially since they are excluded under the uh, relevant force majeure provisions in the Hague and Hague Fisbee uh, rules. Fines. So if the claim of uh, 900 million or 1 billion uh, from the uh, Suez Canal authorities uh, has been substantiated, for example, uh, a fine, those fines are also can also be recovered from uh, the PNI club. Also, quite uh, I would say an extraordinary uh, rule into the uh, PNI club is that any unrecoverable general average you can imagine there are about um, twenty thousand containers on board of the vessel, which is uh, perhaps fifty thousand uh, cargo interests. All those fifty thousand cargo interests will have to uh, put up some GA uh, security and or uh, GA uh, contribution. Uh, some of them are not insured, some are then or being bankrupt, for example. So there are certainly uh, amounts which are not recoverable under uh, the GA uh, dispatch or the, yeah, the, the GA uh, adjustment. And those costs can also be recovered from, your, from the PNI club. Yeah, uh, the damage uh, to the Suez Canal itself so uh, the banks of the canal would also be covered as a result of a collision to a fixed or floating uh, object, uh, which, is, uh, which is called uh, an FFO claim, fixed and floating uh, object claim. There is also an argument, there's also an argument of third party liability in respect of the duty of care to other vessels and their cargo. Uh, so the, the vessels who were delayed. Uh, such actions, like uh, Frank mentioned, uh, should be uh, brought by Egyptian courts under Egyptian law. But even following English law and the tort of negligence, a claimant argument would be difficult to prove. So it's, it's, it's quite difficult, even in Egyptian court, to recover your, um, uh, your, to recover your losses as being a third-party vessel from the uh, African the consequential losses in respect of the uh, interruption of the canal as a result of the blockage, that would be, don't mention it to the uh, Suez Canal authorities, that would be also covered under your PNI cover. Uh, if we are talking about uh, a claim of uh, 900 million, um, 
also one of the peculiarities of PNI is that all 13 PNI clubs, as I mentioned, form the international group of PNI clubs. And this international group has their have their own uh, reinsurance program. And of that reinsurance program, if there is uh, a trigger of more than uh, 50 million, that uh, uh, claim would be compensated by all 13 members. So then, uh, in this case, uh, UK club would announce that claim within the uh, IGA uh, uh, club pooling agreement that they are seeking recovery of the um, of that claim. Uh, coming back to uh, what Frank mentioned on the limitation of liability, if we are talking about around 100 million uh, limitation um, figure, and uh, on the other side, Egyptian authorities are claiming uh, 900 million, I would imagine that we are that there would be a, a much more settlement versus an amount of 100 million than versus an amount of 900 million. But once again, that's a uh, a little bit of uh, buying a carpet on an Egyptian market. I was reading the chat in the meanwhile, and I'm I, now to uh, yeah. There are a lot of questions. But I'm I'm not I'm not I'm concentrating myself on the slide. So, but no, but, very good, very good, very good. <laughs> and I'm trying now to move on, and I don't know what's happening because we still have like four slides to go. Yes. Oops. Yeah, and there we're moving again. Uh, this one this one and here we are here we are okay yeah. yes. um, a little bit about the uh, insurance position position of the uh, vessels who were uh, surrounding the ever given or, or, or who are uh, being delayed uh, according to the latest information no hull damage occurred on those vessels so uh, there will be no need to uh, call upon their hull machinery uh, underwriters on the PNI side, of course, all these vessels have their own uh, PNI club in place or PNI uh, uh, insurance contract in place. If there is a lot of perishable cargo on board of the vessel and that this cargo has been damaged due to uh, uh, the delay, those cargo claims will be uh, recovered from the PNI club of that particular vessel with a, poss a possible recourse action versus the owners of the ever given because they are to blame in, in this uh, in this in this delay uh, like on the uh, uh, ever given uh, vessel itself any consequential loss uh, for late delivery would be not covered this would also be likely to be excluded under the hvis uh, uh, rules uh, as the ever given sat in the suez and the uh, recovery was quite quickly some vessels uh, uh, passed nevertheless through uh, cape uh, of good hope that uh, voyage should have been also uh, been approved by the PNI club because, on basis of the uh, uh, PNI cover, you have to um, you have to transport your goods uh, with the duty of utmost dispatch. So you cannot deviate from a certain voyage without formal approval of the uh, relevant PNI club. But that's quite a, I would say a formalistic. A formalistic uh, requirement, but nevertheless, in order to to, to make things sure, it's uh, quite vital that you inform your PNI club about that uh, 
deviation of the original voyage. As you can imagine, there are a lot of parties involved in this uh, uh, marine uh, adventure. Yeah, you have various inshorts. So uh, what about the technical uh, manager of this vessel, the commercial uh, manager of this vessel, the charter of the ves this vessel, the owner of this vessel. So on the owning side, there are a lot of, um, a lot of parties involved. Uh, then, of course, you've got uh, a broker. Normally, it's only Aeon. So in that perspective, it's quite easy. You've got various insurers in place. Oh, Lisa, you were too quickly. OK, we, we do this, this slide first. We do this slide first. Just hold on, just hold on. Uh, you've got various insurers in place, of course. You can imagine there are a lot of cargo interests. There are 20,000 containers on board of this, this vessel with 20,000 various uh, uh, cargo interests, with 20,000 various insurance contracts. Uh, you've got surveyors, so uh, as well as the PI Club, as Hull and Machinery Underwriters will definitely have um, appointed a surveyor to have a checkup uh, look uh, to the uh, checkup of the vessel. You have various lawyers in place, uh, not only in Egypt, but also, for example, in, um, in, in, in London for the limitation, or even, for example, in Rotterdam, where the uh, final destination of the uh, vessel has been scheduled to. The average adjuster, quite important figure in this, uh, in this process. He will be uh, responsible for the adjustment of the uh, general average expenses that occurred in this adventure. So he will collect all expenses. He will collect all information about all cargo interests about the vessel itself. He will also make a valuation of all parties involved. What's the value of the ever given? Question mark. What's also the value of all uh, cargo, 20,000 co uh, containers, 20,000 cargo interests involved? And he will then take uh, uh, all costs and he will then adjust all these costs of over all these um, uh, interests. And that can take uh, quite a while. So um, he will have a lot of work the next coming uh, years. As I mentioned, also on the cargo side, 20,000 containers. 20,000 various uh, cargo interests, 20,000 uh, cargo contracts in place. You've got the charterer who has also has have their, their obligations towards uh, the, the, the ship owner on basis of the uh, charter party. You've got also, don't forget the crew. The crew is all already on board uh, this vessel uh, from uh, its set sail uh, in the, um, from, from uh, loading port. And, it's and they are still stuck on board of this vessel, 25 crew members, and they are not allowed to go home. Uh, authorities, uh, authorities, the Egyptian authorities are only looking to uh, protect their interests, to recover as, as much as uh, uh, possible. Um, there is also, yeah. So there are a lot of parties involved. Um, and uh, one of the obligations or I would say duties of a broker is to assist your client being uh, a cargo interest or being the ship owner in order to maneuver through all these um, procedures to all this uh, input. Next slide, please. Uh, yes, indeed. 
some perhaps possible insurance topics uh, to be discussed or any uh, solutions. As I mentioned, uh, delay, uh, delay, the cost of delay uh, practically in all interests are excluded. However, however, on the ship owning side, there are possible solutions for that. There is, for example, a delay insurance uh, that can be put in place specifically for port blockages or canal blockages. Uh, most of the deductible side, on the deductible side, we are talking about one, two, three days, and you then recover uh, a fixed amount per day. That's on, on, on delay insurance, the loss of hire insurance, the loss of hire insurance can also be a, can be a possible solution if there is a hull machinery damage and the vessel is being delayed in order to earn freight, then this type of insurance can be, uh, can be I would say, uh, a solution to recover uh, the loss of revenue you incur as being a ship owner. The general average absorption clause we discussed briefly in the Hull uh, machinery side. Also quite important, the solvers liability insurance. As you can imagine, on the solvers liability insurance, uh, we had Smith uh, uh, as, for example, a solver. Also, they face a quite big liability. You, uh, if, if you have signed up a solver contract and you are responsible to solve a vessel which is 400 meters long, uh, which has uh, 20,000 containers on board, and it's your responsibility, your duty to solve that vessel, it, uh, it's, it's quite a big responsibility. So for that liability, for that responsibility, there are specific uh, liability insurance products in place mostly connected with PNI cover, but it can also be uh, uh, not a non-PNI cover uh, uh, insured, uh, which gives you then the benefit or to, to, to put, I would say, to, to, to ensure your liabilities as being a, a solver. The salvage award, uh, the salvage award itself will uh, predominantly be uh, incorporated in the GA if uh, some of uh, the salvage assistance or uh, will be not be honored by the uh, GA adjuster into the adjustment, uh, this, these costs could then be covered under the Hull machinery as being a, a backup plan. Insurance security to release the vessel after arrest. So indeed, uh, the vessel has been arrested. Um, the, the containers, the 20,000 containers are still not in the port of discharge Rotterdam. All of them will have to be uh, contributing to uh, releasing uh, the vessel. Uh, so it can be the case that all these interests have or their insurance companies will have to put up uh, security in order to release either the vessel or the uh, cargo interests. Um, if uh, also something perhaps um, worth mentioning is uh, the war and strike exposure. Uh, the vessel has been arrested. If, for example, uh, cargo is being damaged due to that arrest, and because the arrest can take another year or something, uh, in your cargo contract, you can have the benefit of that uh, war and strike exposure uh, incorporated in your cargo contract. Liability of pilots. Uh, if you have ever sailed on board of a vessel, you know that uh, uh, if, uh, if a canal or if a port is quite difficult to reach, you uh, will have to be obliged to take on pilots 
who will maneuver you through uh, the, uh, the terminal. Uh, those pilots know that uh, canal or that port very good, um, very well. Uh, the pilots are always under the uh, supervision of the master. So in essence, the master is always uh, to be blamed or takes also, all, all, takes also always the responsibility on that, uh, 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 on that pilot uh, operation. So uh, in order for an underwriter or insurance company or a ship owner to have a claim on the, on the pilots, it's, 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 uh, in, it's impossible. It's quite impossible. It's quite impossible. Yeah, yeah, and and now we are almost at the uh, Q and A session. Uh, <laughs> this was your last slide, uh, Aaron. Uh, uh, and I think uh, a lot of people are curious to hear. Uh, do you think will will there be uh, big consequences for uh, the the world trade uh, going going uh, via shipping? Uh, through this incident because there is a lot of delays um mm -hmm. so I, what I, what will happen i i think if you're a logistic provider you will have uh, i would say you will think twice uh, if such incidents happen to to perhaps reorganize your uh, logistic chain first of all second of all on, on, on the insurance side, but uh, on the insurance side, that has already been, I would say, quite a uh, quite big debate the last couple of years, is how big can a, a very big vessel uh, be? Uh, what, what's, 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 the, what's the end of the, uh, the possibilities? Uh, if, if you're carrying 20,000 containers uh, and, and such incidents happen, how do you then... Um, hire in uh, very big uh, trucks uh, where, where do you find a, a port of refuge where, where do you find assistance so i think uh, by cases like this uh, also we have a, uh, experienced a couple of fires on board of uh, ulccs um, i think underwriters will be more reluctant to, to, to provide solutions, insurance solutions for such type, uh, such type of vessels. So it, it, it's, it has already been quite big in the press before the, 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 the ever given, and that will still be a big debate afterwards, I think. So, um, and, and the delays, yeah, um, don't forget uh, that there are a, a quite big chunk of, of uh, daily uh, annually transits through the Suez Canal and let's be honest there are only I would say 10 incidents or 20 incidents per year so in essence it's quite manageable but in uh, but on the other side if, if something happens like this yeah the, the, the consequences can be quite severe so I think yeah. I think people will think twice yeah yeah well, I will uh, stop sharing uh, the slides because we are at the Q&A and this gives us the opportunity to have an easier look at all the questions which have been asked. Uh, and there were a lot of them. Uh, so I will first start with the question I saw at the beginning. Um, and that was the question, uh, why was limitation invoked in London and not in Egypt? And I think I will give that question to uh, Frank Stevens. Yes, um, well, most probably because um, as a lawyer for the ship owner, you would rather be in London and before the London courts than before the Egyptian courts. Uh, 
uh, it, it's of course not without a risk because if you put up a limitation fund in London, then the question is, um, is it going to be recognized uh, all over the world and particularly in, in Egypt? Uh, so there is there's a strategic uh, decision to be made there, but but still I, I kind of understand why they do it in London rather than in uh, Egypt. And, and Frank, to add, as a shipowner, you want to be in the driver's seat. So in that perspective, you want to take control of this incident. So London is a much more, I would say, uh, accessible place than indeed uh, Egypt or... Uh, yes, and indeed it might be, it might be a, a strategy of the shipowner to try and, and collect claims in, in London. That, that is also an, an aspect, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, and there is another question uh, about uh, the um, the first force majeure clause. Um, can you uh, invoke the force majeure clause? Uh, I, I don't know if I'll guess, give this question to Erin or to Frank. It's a difficult choice, but uh... no, I'll, I'll do it. But the the question is basically about the cargo on the other vessels. So not not really the ever given itself, but the other vessels who have been delayed. I, I would say that there there is indeed a possibility to invoke the, the Q clause or something like that and say, well, indeed, for, for those other ships, this is something uh, unforeseeable and, and something that they can't do anything about. So there might indeed be a an argument or defense there to say, well, uh, this is beyond our, uh, this is not something that we could have uh, prevented. Mm -hmm. And uh, there, there was another question about, which is answered a, a bit, really. uh, can the owners limit their liability against the claims of Egypt, uh, of the Egyptian authorities? Um, well, in principle, yes, because uh, the LLMC convention has a list of uh, claims that are subject to limitation and, and um, the first uh, category of claims is, is quite wide and quite broad and, and would in principle um, also include claims from uh, the Suez Canal Authority or from uh, the Egyptian government. So in principle, yes, in practice, no. Uh, you can be sure that the Egyptian government will find a way to uh, avoid limitation of liability. Okay, okay. Um, um... And uh, well, that, that, that's going to be a very interesting case, but I'll just move on to these uh, questions which are asked in the chat and uh, I'll just uh, take them on a first come first serve basis. Uh, is livestock welfare taken into consideration? That's, uh, that's also a question which was asked. Uh, is that, the, other, the other question is no. Ah, that's poor. Well, yeah. I, I heard, was, <laughs> that's reality. That's reality. That's reality. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. But be, because I, I, I did hear that there was some sort of uh, um, uh, an order of going through the the, the the channel that they were trying to reorganize uh, emergency boats going through the channel, but in 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 practice, that's undoable. It just goes on a first serve first come uh, base not not necessarily but but the question the the, the question back is uh, taken into consideration by whom i mean you have the crew on board of those livestock carriers 
and there is only so much that you can do. I mean, if you if your uh, fodder runs out, well, then you're out of fodder, and and the the, the livestock will, will will simply starve. But mm -hmm. there might indeed be for the canal. They might say, okay, this is a livestock area. He gets to pass uh, the canal first, and they could easily do that. I don't see why they wouldn't uh, do that. So. Yeah, because the Suez Canal owners, they 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 can uh, divert the order of the ships going through. Yeah, of course, they decide who goes through when. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and there, I, I think, Julia, you're, you're helping as well eh? by uh, reordering uh, the questions. So I, I would suggest that if you see a question, uh, uh, then uh, just uh, please ask it. Um, Maybe there was an interesting add-on with regards to the livestock. Um, yeah, of course, at the Ever Given, there was no livestock, uh, but there was indeed a ship, uh, ship uh, carrying sheeps. <laughs> So waiting in line. So there was a real scenario. Um, but yes, I followed the chat and I will. Okay. And there is another question. Is it possible that upon entering the Suez Canal, the owners and the charters agree upon general terms and conditions? And that uh, that is as, uh, as the con uh, to avoid the uh, contractual claim against the owners? Well, I tried. I tried to uh, look for that. The, the SCA has a website, and I tried to find that out, but I couldn't really find anything that it, it. It would indeed be possible that in order to be allowed to pass a canal like the Suez Canal or the Panama Canal, you have to enter into agreement and an agreement with the canal authority. But I tried to find that, but I didn't really find anything about about such a contractual situation. No. Okay. Um, what does the charter's insurance with card cover? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, in, in, is this a new kind of, of insurance? Uh, the charter is no, insurance. No, that's 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 your I would say your uh, responsibilities that you have as a charter of a vessel which you insure. For example, your uh, portion as a charter in a, in a GA that you insure. Uh, as well as on basis of the charter party contract between the owner and the charterer, there are uh, put responsibilities on the charter itself for which you take out insurance. So it's, mm -hmm. it's a quite specific. It's it's a speci specific insurance policy who covers your um, uh, your duty as a charterer. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's another question: Is the scopic uh, clause invoked? Uh, I will ask that to uh, Frank Stevens. That's uh... well. That that actually is a good uh, question. Um, it it deals with how uh, Smith, in this case, the salvers will be paid. Uh, the traditional rule in salvage was no cure, no pay. But you can deviate from that and. Scopic is, is invoking scoping is, is one of the ways to uh, change the payment mechanism. Uh, you can also do a lump sum in advance. I don't know what, what they agreed, and, and I don't think uh, Smith is willing to tell that uh, for the time being. It will take a couple of years before we know how that, if, if ever, we know how that was uh, done. But uh, a good question indeed. Mm -hmm. Officially, we only have two minutes. I suggest we go a bit over it.
then we have the chance to answer uh, the nine new questions uh, we're receiving. Uh, and uh, uh, so I would suggest uh, it will take a maximum of 15 minutes longer. Um, and if you are wanting to leave, uh, we welcome you. We really uh, thank you for joining because uh, we think it was uh, uh, that, that you paid attention to our uh, masterclass is very nice. But I will uh, continue with the uh, new question. Is uh, the Egyptian law quite similar to English law or do you see any gaps for this issue? I saw that, I saw that question in, in, in the chat, but I'm not, to be honest, I'm not quite sure what the question is really about. Um, what maybe you, it's from Lauren. I on what, what exactly what gaps or what subject matter are you exactly referring to? Uh, maybe you can put that in the in the chat and then we can take the yeah then we come to that uh, a bit later. Um, what are the alternatives for lifting the detention of the vessel in Egypt if a negotiation is not successful? Because now the, the, the ship is, of course, under arrest. And, you know, if they do not uh, come to um, uh, an agreement, what happens then? Uh, authorities will never allow uh, the cargo being uh, transferred from the vessel as long as there is no deal. No, it's, 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 it's yeah. And the vessel is in the middle of Egypt, so yeah. it's a great bitter lake. So indeed, uh, if the authorities say no, then it will not happen. And and actually transferring twenty thousand containers into another that that in itself would be a a daunting task. So no, that mm. that most probably not. Going to happen. So, and for all these, maybe we yeah. can combine this with with a later question. But um, yeah, there already. Um, there was one question. Uh, whether a cargo interest owner can um, refuse to provide GA uh, guarantees. Maybe this is... Yeah, <laughs> Julia, they can, but then they will not, uh, they will not receive their cargo. But that, that does happen in practice, indeed. If, if your cargo is not worth that much, then you might simply say, well, I'm not going to pay that. And you just keep the container and do what it's do with it, whatever you want. So yes, that, that in practice, that is possible. Yeah. And but another possibility is environmental to... concerns then again. So how That's to get cool. rid of the cargo. Still, still a lot of space in the Mediterranean, you know. Mm, yeah, or in the Egypt uh, socks, we can expect another outlet. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, should we expect maritime liens? What's the law? Uh, what is the applicable law? Probably not that many. Uh, the owner of the Ever Given has a lien on the cargo in order to get his um, GA security. That, that in any case, but... Other than that, I don't immediately see many merit. The salvers have a lien on, on, on the vessel if they are not paid, but maritime liens are, I, I don't think that maritime liens are going to be a big, a big issue in this, in this case. Okay. And uh, who can claim first? Is there a cer certain order? No, it's, it's the Wild West. You should. <laughs> okay. Um... The, uh, but, but, but for instance, in, in general average, you know, if 50% uh, of the cargo is owned by one particular company, do they go first? What do you mean by do they go first? 
in 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 general average uh, uh the, how is it divided you know the the claim on general average uh based off the value the value of all interests the the value of the vessel the value of all cargo uh, containers uh. okay so it's basically the 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 general uh average adjuster uh, mm -hmm. he basically says uh, uh, he, he comes with a, a paper and says, you have to pay this, you have to pay this, and, and it's very equally divided upon the value of the cargo. Yes, correct. And the ship. Okay. Um, the Swiss Channel Authority claimed for a salvage bonus. Uh, does that, is, is, can that be applicable? Uh, yes, that, that is possible. Um, that is not governed by the uh, salvage convention itself, but the convention allows for uh, states to, uh, to deal with that. And uh, so basically it depends on, on Egyptian law. And you can compare that with uh, if you go walking in the mountains and the helicopter has to come and rescue you. In uh, Switzerland, you pay uh, a half of your house for that. In France, mm -hmm. it's for free. Uh, so it depends, okay. on, uh, depends on, on Egyptian law in this case. Okay, and there's a question, why is the ship still arrested? Was there no letter of undertaking by the PNI club, perhaps uh, because of the high claim by the uh, Egyptian authorities? But in the meanwhile, costs uh, are only increasing uh, for their ever given uh, with respect to its cargo. So, yeah, I think that's a very good question. Um, I think I think that uh, there the uh, reasoning behind this is that the uh, Egyptian authorities don't want a piece of paper which is a letter of undertaking they just want cash mm -hmm. because they don't yeah they, they don't have anything with with a piece of paper of letter of undertaking because that's just a promise to pay mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. but th this is also very bad for the egyptian authorities isn't it because you know uh uh is it, uh if you face these consequences as a big ship con uh, ship and a big container ship, this ship uh, weighed two times the Eiffel Tower. Uh, and it was twice as big as the, uh, the, 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 the Suez Channel itself. Uh, so... They don't mind, Lisa. They don't mind. They, they ju they're just a wait and see. And they know they are important for, the, for, for world trade, yes. Yeah. We, we, we hardly uh, can't avoid them. Okay, maybe we can we can pick up then the last question as well. I think this relates to it as well. Mm -hmm. uh, when these um, Swiss Channel uh, Authority not let go the ever given and arrest every next evergreen vessel? I mean, from my perspective, I think this is basically the same. It's just a promise for the future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I was uh, and, and there's another one, uh, a student without any experience. Uh, uh, she uh, is, is asking the question, I was wondering how big the success rate uh, would be for the uh, Evergreen, so the charterer, to use the exception of navigation and management to the ship uh, in the hague Visby rules towards the ever-given cargo interest. Yeah, that, that was basically the same. Uh, Warren was saying um, the costs uh, are increasing with respect to cargo, but not necessarily because there is indeed the nautical fault exemption in, in, in the Hague Visby rules. So it's very possible that Evergreen as a carrier can say to its cargo interest, the cargoes on board of the um, Evergiven, so bad, too bad, this is a nautical fault of the crew, so I'm exonerated for all of the damage caused by this grounding. 
I think okay. it's more about other ports, I think, like Rotterdam or Hamburg, and maybe uh, that's a question for Julia. Yeah, well, I mean, if if there is a, I mean, there, of course, they have a contract relationship, but it's definitely not their fault. So it, it can be quite hard uh, to establish a case um, and blame them for not operating like in a, in a proper way if the, the cause they may rely on, especially the port, uh, lies with the Suez Canal incident. And so... Okay. okay. And uh, th this is a very interesting question uh, for Erin. Uh, do you think uh, the insurance premiums uh, mm -hmm. could increase because of the risk uh, of trans, uh, trans sitting of the channel? Um... I, I, to, be, to be honest, more on the PNI side, more on the legal side, more on the uh, responsibility side than on the on the whole side, because on on Hulle machinery, cons, uh, the impact on Hulle machinery uh, uh, underwriters, this incident is quite minimal because there are not a lot of Hulle machinery cases. It's more on the PNI side, where perhaps you will see, uh, uh, especially if this claim kicks in for the whole thirteen IG PNI clubs, then you could see, uh, uh, I would say, an increase with next. PNI renewal, which is uh, the 20th of Feb every year. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, okay, um, so th this is going to be very exciting if the premiums mm -hmm. will rise. Um, uh, what exactly, th th this is a question, what exactly caused the incident in the Suez Channel? What? That's for the moment a quite, quite a big question mark. Uh, there was a quite high winds uh, and apparently a previous or at least one previous ship uh, decided not to start uh, transiting the canal because of the winds uh, they were apparently going faster than in principle allowed but apparently that's that's standard practice almost all ships go go faster than than theoretically allowed so might have been a bank effect i mean the the ship uh, the canal is relatively small compared to the size of the ship so that that is that is an from a nautical perspective, very interesting, but no, uh, no answers there yet. Mm, 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 mm. Uh, and somebody was wondering, but I think we we uh, mentioned that point already. That it's highly unlikely that containers will uh, be uh, removed from the uh, Ever Given due to the fact that that's going to be a very difficult operation, isn't it? Yeah, but well, the question is also: Doesn't the arrest also cover the vessel's cargo? Well, not necessarily. That that kind of depends on on Egyptian law. If you arrest the vessel, that does not necessarily mean that you have also arrested the vessel. But in practice, because it's often difficult and or expensive to remove the cargo, in in practice, it, it basically boils down to also blocking the cargo. But it, from a strictly legal point of view, that is not necessarily the case. Mm. Okay, 
And uh, can cargo interests refuse general average uh, guarantees based upon seaworthiness, unseaworthiness of the vessel, improper crew? Not in first instance, no. They, in principle, what they then have to do is to uh, provide the guarantee uh, under reserve and then afterwards uh, basically ask back their money because of unseaworthiness or, be or because of a fault of the... But in, 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 you cannot, in first instance, uh, refuse for that reason. Uh, you might in practice still say, well, you just keep my goods. I don't want them anymore if I have to put up security, but... Not for that legal reason. Mm -hmm. But I, I understand general average is a very old uh, principle, um, uh, but it's uh, it's lesser involved uh, invoked anymore in in the uh, sea uh, uh, on the seaborne vessels. Why is that? So it it's 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 not uh, often uh, as often used anymore the general average clause. This was qu quite an exception, wasn't it? Well, it's not an exception, but it's not so often used anymore. Is that due to the absorption clause? That can be the case, but uh, but luckily, uh, uh, the last, I would say the last 10 years, uh, not so many salvage cases or general average cases occurred because mm -hmm. everything is a little bit more, I would say, up to speed. Okay. Okay, um, so uh, and when human crew would uh, suffer a lot, uh, what what could be done to bring them in safety? That's a very good question, and I think that's also one of the headaches of the shipowner currently is uh, how do I would say how do you replace the current crew because the the current crew also had their issues the last couple of weeks. Um, and apparently, uh, according to the latest information, they are not allowed to go from, from board uh, by the uh, uh, Egyptian authorities. So it's also a little bit of, of, of yeah, taking hostage or uh, uh, putting up the pressure uh, on the ship owner to, to pay up. Yeah, mm -hmm. they, will do, they will do what it takes in order to, 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 to reach a settlement or to reach... Uh, uh, Okay. Um, if the pilot made a nautical error, um, are the uh, Egyptian uh, authorities uh, responsible? Not responsible themselves. In theory, there might be, but in practice, almost all uh, pilot laws uh, have very, very limited liability for the pilots and or for the authorities that appoint them. So, so. Theoretically, they might be, but in practice, they, they will never be, or only for peanuts. So that's that's not, not a real avenue. Okay. Uh, I saw that uh, Jort Sanders uh, posted uh, that the uh, rules of the Source Channel. So it's there for us to read. Um, Scopic, we already dealt with that. Uh, the whole machinery underwriters compensate the ship owner for abandoning the vessel in case the Egyptian authorities stick to their high claim and no agreement is reached? Then, then it's more on the war and strike underwriters than on the whole machinery underwriters because, because there can be clauses that if you're, I would say, if you have a vessel 
which you cannot recover for six months or 12 months, that then you can re, uh, achieve a payout from uh, uh, war and strikes underwriters. So that's that's possible, but in theory, but it, uh, I, I expect in practice that the, the next coming weeks, there will be a, a settlement. They, they will okay. not... They, they will not prolong this too 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 longer hence they take a little bit the, the crew hostage so there will there will be a settlement okay well great I think uh, we uh, have dealt with uh, uh, most of the questions uh, in the chat uh, I saw a, lo a lot of people already had to leave uh, it's dinner time of course uh, so uh, I want to thank you uh, uh, I want to thank the panel. I want to thank all the um, participants in the chat. I uh, I really thought it was very uh, uh, interesting and very clear how it was explained uh, to all of you. Um, and uh, I hope to see you next time. Uh, I don't know if we'll do it again, but uh, it, uh, it I really enjoyed it. So uh, I hope uh, we can do this more often. And I do not hope uh, more of these marine accidents will occur uh, very often. But uh, I don't think that's a good thing. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll ask Marsk when, when next they send uh, one of their big vessels to <laughs> <laughs> Okay, thank you and I wish you all a very good evening. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.